Hi, this is Lawrence Gowan from Sticks, or just Gowan, and you are listening and watching The Jeremy White Show. The Jeremy White Show. Hey, there we go. How's it going? Great. How are you? I'm good. Good. Great to see you. Great to see you. You too. Well, I, like uh, back- I like your background there. Thank you. I like yours. Where, where are you at right now? Oh, another generic hotel room. <laughs> <laughs> You're at the Four Seasons in uh, Wyoming or something. Actually, I just realized, yeah, this is kind of, um, what's that Zach Galifianakis thing between two ferns? Between I'm just, two ferns. Between two lamps. <laughs> true. You know what? That You should take a screenshot of that and then make that for your background for every interview. Yeah, not a bad idea. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, yeah. Look, let's get right into this. Legendary yeah. and multi-platinum rocker Sticks will be taking the Las Vegas stage once again for an unforgettable five-night engagement at the Venetian Theater inside the Venetian Resort Las Vegas, happening from January 26th, running through February 2nd and 3rd. Uh, tickets are on sale at Ticketmaster.com. Make sure you go and check it out. Welcome to the show for the first time, the one, the only, Mr. Gowan from Sticks. How's it going? I am very well. Thank you, Jeremy. Great to be here. And uh, yeah, happy to be on your show. Uh, our mutual friend Mitch Lafon sends his regards. He's still battling health issues, but uh, he wanted me to say hi. So I'm, I'm very glad to hear that. I, Mitch is a great. Uh, I just I just did a Zoom with uh, guys in Montreal, and I was wondering. Yeah, I'm in Montreal too. I'm right down the road from Mitch. Oh, you are okay. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Who who would you talk to? I was just talking to Jason Rockman. Ah, good old Rockman. Yes. Yeah, buddy of mine. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, I was on the Beat 92.5, and he was on Shome, and we used to we used to compete against each other. It was friendly competition, right. though. Well, it, it, I, lo- I love those competitions, especially when those competitions with who can play the most Gowan songs. Well, that's it, right? Ta- that's talking the competition about, I like. Talking about that, though, it's like, you know, how, especially in 2023, it's like, and we're talking about radio. How important was radio to you and your career coming up in the 80s? Well, essential. As as essential as the kind of as, as what your show is today, how how you know mm. this is this is how we connect with people now on a on a, a on a global level, really. You know, everyone can watch this, but radio was you know you, you had to go region by region, and if you wanted to if you wanted to tour the country, if you wanted to cross Canada, you better have radio support in every in every major market. Otherwise, you're going to have to miss that place. You know. Right. Uh, because radio was the, was the way people found out about your stuff. That, and of course, once the cable system was really, you know, coast to coast, uh, video was 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 it was it was this hand hand in hand connection between video uh, and and radio to really get get your songs out there, and uh, so that's it was essential. Yeah. It's funny, Mitch and I were talking just the, the other night, we were talking about Brian Adams, because he put out this, like, box set of, like, he did, like, three albums at the Royal Albert Hall in the UK, and we're like, man, it's amazing how, like, huge Brian became, like, mm-hmm. through the 80s and around the world, but then you look at other Canadian artists, you know, like, the Honeymoon Suites, and, like, you know, like, or even your solo stuff, it's like, you, you never really branched out outside of Canada, and, and I always wondered, like, why was that? Was that, like, record labels holding you back, or... Well, yeah, and yes, it was. In fact, here's here's the way the paradigm was. This is why I'm so reluctant to give advice to young musicians and say, "Well, how how do you, how do you how do you get it there?" The latter was a completely different setup back mm-hmm. then. If you got signed to one of the four major labels, Columbia, uh, Capital, well, EMI, A uh, and M, which is the biggest independent, or Warner Brothers, you know, Atlantic, you know, Warner Atlantic, Electric Atlantic. If you were signed to one of those labels, you had basically a great support system behind you however they controlled the market 
and, the, and this is going to be really boring, Jeremy, but I'll, t- I'll try. No, to I love this. Please tell the story. By controlling the market, this is how you can build, you know, great empires as they had. You know, they um, they, they were monolithic, gigantic companies who controlled, who were the gatekeepers, basically, of music around the world. Well, one of the things you learn is you don't flood the market I- entirely with too many choices for people. That's why the Internet is, you know, there was a saying I heard just a few years back, it's become old now, but but it used to be that, uh, you know, uh, a thousand bands in the world sold a million records each. And now there's a million bands that sell about a thousand albums each, you know, and that's that's an old saying at this point. But it's it's really true that the the Internet completely wiped that that method of, of them selling away and then they had they spent years trying to retool and, and refocus how they should operate and they've managed to do that for example that uh, as they did around 20 i'll say roughly 2014 15 mm. with sticks we you know that's when we went back to universal who had the whole catalog and everything because the company had become much more had streamlined itself and made itself much more relevant to to the to the current reality of what the internet did to the old as i say to the old setup right so with um some artists because the way their deals were structured would get exposure in other markets. And I, I'm very good friends with Jim Valance, who is the, uh, uh, the co-writer with Brian. Uh, all that uh, Brian stuff, yeah. All the songs. And we were discussing that last year I was doing Jim's, um, uh, uh, I did a speech to to kind of in, 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 in his inauguration into the Songwriters Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. And uh, <clears throat> we were talking about that. And so much of that made the difference was, uh in the the way their deal was set up the publishing i think was held by a and m in the u s whereas my publishing was held in canada by mm. uh by uh, anthem who had rush which was great but my deal was a, a different record deal i was with columbia records and they just they just did not wish to kind of give me any sort of uh push in the united states now we tried mm. uh you know i did a, an entire national tour with tears for fears uh, in 1985 throughout america when the uh, songs from the big chair was number one there and strange animal was number one in a good number of markets in canada at the same time and we tried trying that way to tip their hand but they were very they, they were very cautious about how who they released where and what the trade-off was as well you know uh, as i say it's it's a long laborious subject but that's why music was like that now what, what i love today quite frankly, is how many people over the last, since the internet, and particularly since we joined Sticks, how many of them in America here, where I am right now playing with Sticks tonight, um, <clears throat> how many of them have discovered those records? And especially in light of the fact that 80s music has become so popular among yeah. people who weren't even born in the 80s, they seem to be the ones that champion Strange Animal and Great Dirty World, and my first album even, and Lost Brotherhood. Those those. 80s albums that I made are part of their life, you know, and it's fantastic to see that. So yeah. when I come to play these shows in Quebec, there'll be younger people there that weren't even born that will know every lyric, just as as there will be tonight when I play with Sticks right. here in Indiana. And so eventually, no matter what the business setup is in the background, the music will find its way through to some degree at some point. If it's if it's got a quality to it that people that resonates with people, 
Yeah. And that's the interesting about the Internet. You know, it's like Bill Maher did this whole uh, segment not long ago talking about how streaming kind of like ruined things for artists and stuff. But he's like, no, no, no. I think streaming actually kind of cut out the middleman and said you're either successful or you're not because there's no reason for you not to be because everybody has access to find you. He, he has some very astute observations, and that's definitely one of them is that, you know, it's like I if I go on YouTube and I just, you know, look up my videos and stuff. There's a song on uh, Great Dirty World called Dedication that I never did a video for. It was never a single. Mm. Discussed it being a single and at the time. And there was all kinds of... And I see, oh, there's a video of it made by someone in... I think it was in Brazil. And it's completely got a, 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 a um, Portuguese translation to it all the way through. And... You know, tens of thousands of views, and and I'm I'm trying to translate the comments, etc., because <laughs> they found it themselves, and the song connected with them, and that's the beauty of music is is there is no there's no real uh, containing music in into one time period. You might suddenly res you might suddenly find yourself, um, you know, connected to a to a piece that that Mozart wrote, you know, right. three years ago. For, for some reason and the internet gives you instant access to that that's the other beautiful thing of it is that if someone hears the name gallant or hears uh, go, comes by this interview with jeremy white for a moment and goes oh well, what's this guy like boom it's not they don't have to they don't have to wait they've got that split second thing and go gallant blah, blah, blah. oh there's the song uh oh moonlight desires oh yeah i kind of like that you know or no next well that's it <laughs> yeah it's, it's like instant gratification. Yeah, I think Bill Maher's line was like, uh, he's like, you know, everybody, all these songwriters and independent artists are complaining that, you know, only the top 1% are getting all the revenue. And he's like, well, yeah, we call those the successful ones. Well, yeah. <laughs> we call those the that's, good ones. <laughs> that's, a, that's a little bit harsh. That's, that's <laughs> yeah. I thought it was harsh. a funny line. <laughs> exactly. Well, remember, at, at his core, I think he's a comedian. Yeah, well, he is, yeah. But it's interesting you talk about how, you know, I mean, like the labels were kind of holding you back in certain territories. It's almost like you were being sandboxed into being, you know, yeah. a, like a CanCon artist. And they don't want to put you anywhere else because, you know, you have to be CanCon and that's it. Well, it's it, there's more. Yeah. It, that's, again, and in one quick stroke, that's that's kind of what it was. But mm -hmm. they um, they did this not for they did this for reasons of business that just worked for them okay mm -hmm. if they were promoting one artist in one area and doing really really well with it it, it made more sense to continue with that artist uh than to take and there'd have to be a trade-off in in columbia records there's a wonderful trade-off with britain with so many artists you know if bruce springsteen was still you know when he was gigantic here he was still kind of coming up a bit in england when George Michael, Wham, for example, these are people that were on the same label as when they were doing extremely well and playing Wembley or whatever in, in England, they were kind of getting a little bit of play in America. Well, they could trade those two off and go, you promote it, right? Canada didn't have as much weight uh, when it came to kind of trying to play that kind of power game to you trade, you take this artist, we take them, mm -hmm. unless you were signed directly to that American label. And Wow. I signed with Columbia Records in in Canada, and the uh, yeah. it was a frustration. Believe me, the our, the president of the label, Bernie DiMatteo, and and my A and R guy uh, Jeff Burns, who signed so many huge acts, you know, um, they were very frustrated, you know, because it was 
it, it was difficult to, to kind of cross that border. Um, but hey, things worked out. Yeah, they did. And it's funny because I, I what, back when I was on like Top 40 Radio in Montreal, I'm, I'm still on in Toronto and stuff, and I don't really do like a lot of their interviews. But when I used yeah. to talk to guys like Tyler Shaw and like, you know, uh, Sean Hook and Virginia to Vegas and, you know, th they kill it on Canadian radio. Yeah. But they're CanCon guys and they, they couldn't get arrested in the States. So then I, and what, I asked them that, you know, it's what you're it's it's where the music is, is exposed. It's as simple yeah. as that. It's it's. It's <laughs> there's nothing there's nothing more to it at, at all. You know, there are artists still to this day who are massive, say, in Britain or in Germany, yeah. and people haven't heard of them and or haven't heard of them yet. That's it. Yeah. I see people at shows all the time and on like Snapchat or Instagram stories and people, you know, playing venues like, you know, in Montreal, like the M Telus or, you know, the Corona Theater. And I'm like, I have no idea who this person is, but they sold out the, the Metropolis. That's right. Like, what? Yes. And it's all kids. It's like hip hop artists or, you know. Yeah. Well, that that's it. You're um you're 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 a victim of of that <laughs> we're, we're oversaturated on so much and we really have to be extremely selective and we, eventually we find what kind of resonates with our DNA. Yeah. That's it. Uh talking about the live show, uh Stick's going to be heading off to Vegas, the Venetian Theater inside the Venetian Resort. Yeah. Uh Vegas doing shows January 26th, 27th, 31st, February 2nd and 3rd. Uh, tickets yeah. are on sale now at Ticketmaster.com. You want to go check that out. I, I saw you guys a couple of years ago. You did a char charity event here in Montreal at uh, Strangers in the Night. And uh, that was well, one of the best shows I've ever seen. Like the band was absolutely on fire. Thank uh, you. It, it, it's, it must still be a thrill to be playing live, right? It is. It's it's what I think is the, the lifeblood of, of a band is both coming up with new ideas and definitely playing live is what, what keeps a band so... Um, active i have been in sticks now to the, this is my 25th year and when i joined the mandate on the table was we're going to play 100 shows every year for sure and we've stuck to that and that's that's quite a that's quite a pace that we've been on and last night was no different than it was 25 years ago there's an audience that's completely enthralled with the show i mean I, I, it's, I, I'm not being immodest when I tell you, Sticks put on a fantastic rock show. I see it every night. Yeah. From, where, from where I am, I'm entertained by the other guys on the stage. They're, yeah. they're just that good. And, uh, you know, I, I never hesitate to say to people who may or may not have either heard of Sticks or may or may be indifferent about the, about the music the band does, if you come to the show, I, I can guarantee you're going to really enjoy it. And yeah, I, I remember that Strangers Night. That was at the Bell Center, right? No, it was actually in a parking lot in the oh, West yes. Island. <laughs> right, it was. That's right. We had a choir, and it was like, was that in Laval? It was in um, I think it was in Pierrefonds or like like uh like Point yeah. Claire or something. Because they yeah. do it every year in a parking lot, and it's like it was, uh, it's like it a charity great. gourmet gala thing. And yeah, it was really a great show. But what what Montreal show hasn't been? Well, that's it, right? Best audience in the world. Let's be honest here. <laughs> this is where I met Sticks. That's where we and and the the funny thing is both of us had our initial our first number ones both happened in Quebec. Them, them with uh, a song they had called "Sweet Madam Blue," which I sing now, and then myself with uh, "A Criminal Mind." Yeah. When you were initially invited to join the band, I mean, here we are, twenty five years later. Did you think this relationship would carry on this long? Uh, you know. You don't really live your life as a musician thinking much more ahead than maybe the next six months. <laughs> quite honest, you know, you you really have to look at. Uh, there are so many moving 
parts going on yeah. all the time. You really think, you know, I've been incredible. I'll be incredibly lucky if by the end of 2023, I'm still able to do this. Mm. Um, well, what's so, limiting you? What's going on? You got health or you can't, <laughs> you're going to break a leg and you're going to not recover. Not, not that at all. Just I don't like this foreshadowing, man. <laughs> no, well, yeah, I, I don't mean that. What I mean is, yeah, well, let's, let's, let's hope you're not playing this interview back and seeing them. He was right. Oh my um, goodness. <laughs> no, uh, what I mean by that is there's so many, you, you never take it for granted. That's what I'm trying to say is, is that the, the audience and their, their enthusiasm and their, their connection to you, you never take it for granted. It's to me astounding that, you know, when I come to Quebec next month and play those gallon shows, there's going to be people that have been there since 1985. Even some people that would have seen me playing in clubs in the 1970s before I made records. Yeah. Uh, and it, it, it still, knocks me out that they they keep coming back and we have this musical bond and this connection that has has run such a long course in our lives that um i never would have imagined you know but i would, was always hopeful of yes right. i i hope you're asking me the same question in like 2043 <laughs> i mean that's it i mean you know, i i don't see this ending anytime soon the band is firing on all cylinders i don't see the end but neither do we anymore because jeremy the, the you know, I, I say this in a lot of interviews because I mean it. Rock music is the great musical statement of the last half of the 20th century. As, as I, you know, you know, what I learned about music history going to the conservatory and everything is there's there's usually one form of music that dominates. You know, usually by half a century. So, you know, you would say in the in the the beginning of the 1800s, you know, classical music was still very strong. But then the Romantic era came in with Tchaikovsky and those kind of composers. The night the early 20th century, I would say the biggest musical uh, shift was the, the the influence of jazz. So jazz really owned that first 50 years and all kinds of permutations of, of what jazz can be was there. But for the moment music went electric from roughly 1950 on uh, and rock was invented as a music that connected to that, the small combo of four or five, whatever number of players could make a big sound and they had this gigantic audience from the baby boom that 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 championed this music. The the reason I bring it up is because growing up on it, we were always kind of led to believe, or we told ourselves that it was a very transient type of music that it would have be here today and gone tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And we were wrong. It really it had all the all the impact that music throughout history has had on people, where they connect themselves to it in profound ways. And want to embrace that as often as possible. I, you know, I just mentioned last month I went and saw Peter Gabriel again, probably for the tenth or twelfth time in my life. Yeah. And uh, you know, his music has connected to my life in such a deep way that I I have to go and see him play if I have the opportunity. Right. And he never lets me down. He can't. It's not possible for him to 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 and yet. Uh, and the sticks is the same kind of way. And I'm very fortunate to say that the gallon music I've done over the years has connected in a great way with, with audiences in Quebec. And uh, I love going back and revisiting that as, as much as I possibly can. And look, at a certain point, you got to bring out the Pro Tools rig. Bring out the Pro Tools rig. Everybody else is doing it. <laughs> bring out the Pro Tools rig. Uh, <laughs> probably do have one, actually. You know, to, we, you know, the way we can do sound checks now is we'll record the night before. Oh, yeah. And our house sound man can run those tracks through the PA and basically set up the PA exactly as it was in the on the previous night or make adjustments based on that. And um, 
we still come out and do a sound check anyway, but that's more or less for us to kind of test the, the boundaries of the stage more than anything else. Yeah, stage. Well, is the stage really loud? Or are you guys all running in ears? And we've all, I've been on in ears since 1999. Yeah, we've wow. never used live monitors. Uh, I, I think there was one event we, I think we played in Alaska once where our in-ear rig either didn't show up or something had, was delayed and we had to use live monitors again, the, you know, the wedge stage. Oh my God, I don't want to go back to those days at all. Yeah. As a performer, I mean, how much has it changed your performance? I mean, like, is it just more pleasurable? Does it help you perform better? Well, okay. that That's a great question. I've never been asked that. It, it's, first of all, it, it's good for preserving your, your voice because you no longer feel that you have to sing over top of the drums. Even right. though the monitors can be perfectly loud, you've got this cacophony going on up there in a lot of ways of rebounding sounds and everything. You always feel you have to kind of supersede that instead you've got a contained environment where you can you can hear yourself in in context with what's around you rather than having to kind of fight against it and uh right. it's been it, it's it's been a great uh, a great advancement all the all the digital advancements in the world have 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 been such a fantastic thing for for live music you know yeah Especially, I'm uh, in like an hour or two. I'm going to be interviewing a front of house engineer, and because uh, I'm obsessed with sound, and I, I just love this stuff. So I, I got Stanley. He's the front of house guy for Megadeth coming on, Great. and uh, he's a studio guy that ended up going live. But talking yeah. about the technical advance of it, I mean, like it's amazing how we can just make live shows sound so good these days. Oh and yeah, then, you know, there's even like bootlegs of like artists in ear monitor like mixes on YouTube and stuff, and like it yeah. sounds like they're playing. It sounds like the record. Yeah, they, they, they can because there are a lot of factors involved in that. And, and I think in-ears is one of them. First of all, he'll, he'll, Stanley will probably tell you this. Basically, the front of house engineers used to have to fight the onstage sound because, you know, my open microphones are, you know, all kinds of sound is bleeding in there for the drums are bleeding into the vocal mic and the vocal mics are coming through monitors and the, the guitars are, are screaming into, into mics, et cetera. And so you've got this stage level and now when people stand it's you know when, when people stand side stage all they really hear is drums and in the distance they can hear the front of house pa right. but it's vague until you get in front of the speakers and go out into the house and then everything everything's in perspective so yeah from the stage it's a it's a very different um, environment now really the drums entirely dominate and although they are still bleeding into microphones that's even another advancement they've they've learned how to kind of contain mics and, and design them in a way where they're very directional and i've never discussed this in an interview before so thanks for bringing that up <laughs> well i love the i love the technical aspect of it because i'm also a musician too so it's like like it's funny you say that because stage volumes have just drastically gone down I remember yeah. I talked to uh, Justin Hayward from the Moody Blues. Yeah. And they were infamous for having tons of amps on stage back in like yeah. the day. And I asked him, like, in reality, how many of those are on? And he looked at me, he's like, Jeremy, you <laughs> None have of no them. idea. He, no, no, no. He said they were all on. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, he's back like, then. Oh, back then they would have been all on. Yes. Yeah. yeah. He was like, you know, I'd see like, sh like, you know, the other guys, their shirts like being like blown like in the wind from oh, like, yeah. the speakers moving. And oh, yeah. No, that that was. I mean, it was exciting. It was like it was like that Back to the Future scene where uh, he hits the hits yeah, the he goes flying. <laughs> yeah, it it was like that. It was like that. And, and actually, back when we played clubs, that that was almost like a. I'm talking in the '70s there when I first went to Montreal. That was kind of a, a mark of how serious you were. Was how how big your stack was on stage. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like the stack of, <laughs> it was a dick measuring contest. 
<laughs> Very much so. Yes. Yeah. Musicians can be just as uh, just as immature as anyone else. Is uh, oh, yeah. You know, it was the equivalent of you know jacking up your car or doing a low ride. I don't know. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Who had the best sound system in their in their ride? You know. Yeah. That's, that's true. Um, talking about that, I mean, so Sticks, you guys released you know two years ago. Crash of the Crown. I mean, like fantastic record. Rave reviews Thanks. from fans. Super excited. I mean, what can we expect set list wise? You know, when Six hits Vegas, uh, you know, mix of old and new. Are you gonna pull a Peter Gabriel and play like the new record in its entirety and like everybody's in there bored or like? <laughs> I don't. I don't think it would be as adventurous as that. Even though you know, Crash of the Crown did hit, hit number one on the Billboard Rock album. It was hugely successful. A great, great, successful. Did you guys have that expectation? No, we we again. It's it's like when you asked if you know, did you see this going twenty five years? Yeah, you really don't have expectations other than you you can if you can look yourself in the eye and look each other in the eye and go, I really like this. I really think this is strong. This is you know, uh, you can feel that it's going to it's going to connect to other people. You just never know how many, right? And especially for a band that's been around for fifty two years now, sticks is <laughs> in yeah. fifty second year of existence. So when the album came out in the 50th year of the band, we, you know, our expectations are, are we're going to play a, a couple of these songs live, maybe one at first, and, and the audience will tell us if they want to hear more. So you'll never go to a stick show. So you're talking about what we'll do in the residency in Las Vegas this year. Uh, you'll never see a stick show where we don't play Renegade and and uh, Come Sail Away and and uh, Grand Illusion and Blue Collar Man and Fooling Yourself and Too Much Time in My Hands you know Lady these these songs are in every show they they, they have you to have be. to play them yeah well you they're and we love playing them that's the other thing is you know we, they they just go over so well Mr Roboto and but the new songs are really part of this spice that kind of gets tossed in there it's a tough set list to crack. But when we play, for example, Crash to the Crown, the, uh, the the title track, it goes over every bit as well as something from the past because we designed the record in a way where it still sounds very much like it's from the classic rock era. You know, that we definitely gave ourselves that uh, palette to work with, if you want to use a, a painting analogy, and um, recorded analog and, and, you know, it's, you know, the, the majority of them actually sell on vinyl and um you believe I could be wrong with that, but mm -hmm. the vinyl ones keep going to reap. I say that, and uh, it's these are songs that, that kind of help to lift the set. Those and the kind of the surprise elements in there, which are the ones that we don't often play that, that people love. You know, we just brought back Lorelei after not playing it for about five years. And it's going over fantastic, you know. Yeah. Every well, I mean, like, like, like for example, the Vegas kind of allows you to. Do, I mean, like tonight at the Hard Rock in Gary, Indiana, you're going to do the casual consumer, you know, party stick set list. But in Vegas, you know, the hardcore <laughs> fans are going to come fly in. They're they're expecting a little B cut, you know, B side. You you know, you'd be surprised how many people do the fly in thing now. It's become, I think, for a lot of people now that they talking about myself going to Peter Gabriel. If if I had been able to go to the show the next night. I think we played in Buffalo. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think I had, we were back in, on tour. Uh, like I would have gone to that. We see people travel great distances. And the great thing with Vegas is that they're, they converge, they convert yeah. in that city quickly. And people who actually live in Las Vegas, they, they, they know this now and they get their tickets really early. But um, the, uh, that is a beautiful thing. And we know that they're going to come to multiple shows, a good number of them. So, We'll we'll alter at least by one or two songs per night. 
Nice. Yeah, I'm one of those guys. I love traveling to go to shows. You know, like last summer I went to Vegas and I saw Shania Twain's residency three times because I'm a, I'm a fan. You know. It's like, well, I I can understand it entirely. I really, it's become a vacation destination in a lot of ways because it's it's for me. To me, it's a more meaningful vacation than just the lying on the beach thing, which I, I, I enjoy that too. But it wouldn't, it's not the same as, okay, when we go to Vegas, you know, Todd and I last night, Todd at Zuckerman, our drummer, we were talking about, hey, wait, you know, when we come in for rehearsal day, you two are playing at the, at the sphere, the new sphere, which we've watched them building last year during our residency. Yeah. And um, yeah, I want to see them. Right. So our enthusiasm is the same way. You know, yeah. we really, we love going and seeing other bands that are, you know, of that incredible level that can lift people to to phenomenal heights. At the end of the day, always a fan. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 100%. 100%. Paul McCartney's still a fan of going to see bands. So who yeah. else? Who wouldn't be? Yeah. That's what we do, right? I mean, musicians or not. It's like, you know, we love music. It's what we do. I agree. And uh, that's what they'll be doing in Vegas, also on tour all the way through to November. Go to sticksworld.com and, of course, catch uh, Gowan on stage doing his solo thing in Quebec. You know, later this year, it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. Going to be hitting Vegas in January, though. So uh, save up your money. That's a good stocking stuffer. Sticks tickets in Vegas. I mean, come on. Uh, Maybe one of the best. Maybe one of the best. Yes. Sticks in Vegas. The residency at the Venetian. The Venetian is such a fantastic stage. And then my own solo tour begins in Quebec. In mid-November, runs through Montreal, Quebec City, and a bunch of other towns, then Ottawa, and then Toronto's Massey Hall on November the 30th. So I'm keeping it busy. Keeping it busy. And, of course, you know, it's Rocktober, Shocktober. Go slap on another wolf cop because you need to watch it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's really? definitely it's time to get, get that wolf cop um, movie out there for sure and see, yeah. see just what Organo is up to Yeah, in Wolf, in wolf Cop too. That was, that was that was a fun movie. I I enjoyed the hell out of it. I enjoyed doing it, and I just enjoyed the whole thing. I think horror has become my genre, I, as far as movies that I'm connected to. Oh yeah, I have a, I have a new song in one called this year called Zombie Town. Uh, a song's called Zombie Hideout, and uh, that's a Gowan song. And uh, but I've done other movies where I've played the Grim Reaper in one called She Never Died. Uh, there's a number of them. Yeah. Yeah. Becoming, becoming the Bill of the Ghosty of the music world. <laughs> Look, you're almost like a, you have like a, you know, you're a cult. You're going to have a cult following just from the acting stuff. People, people hold I was in Salt Lake City just, was it last year? Where guys were holding up copies of Wolf Cop, the DVD, like in the audience, pointing at it, going yeah. like, that's what they wanted signed. I'm like, okay. You could probably sure. go to Comic Cons or like Horror Cons and sign the copies of that DVD. I I've gone to them in the past and I would love to go again. And I have, I I went to one where my son was actually looking after one of the uh, Japanese uh, anime artists, uh, Goku, played Goku, and my it was my son introduced me. And I'm so happy this happened. It was a few years ago, obviously. It was um, Adam West, who was the Batman when I was, yeah. right. Uh, so yeah, I, I love those kinds of things. So just real quick, I know we're running out of time, but since it's no, Halloween and stuff, you know, like, give me, give me your top five favorite horror movies. Well, the, the movie that had the most effect on me in in a horror genre was The Exorcist. Right. It would be, would be my number one. Um, I recently watched a movie called Renfield, which I thought was fantastic. I thought that was great. Um, I, I This is not a movie, but I really enjoyed the, the, the series 
of American Horror Story. I loved how they, they would sh- shake that up all the time. I, I particularly love, I love, well, Young Frankenstein because it's both comedy and horror. <laughs> right. Come on. But best I, of both worlds. Yeah. But I also love the original, you know, um, uh, the, the original Frankenstein, the black and white Frankenstein was the first one that I, I, I can still watch that anytime. I can keep going. There's, there's all kinds of other ones that I, that I, that I love. Um, I do like sometimes when they mix the comedy in there, like sc- the scary movie series are, are pretty damn good. Right. Uh, th- those, those are some of my faves. Oh, I'll give you one that I think is, is a tremendous horror movie. That's a kind of a, or a thinker is the changeling. Mm. Yeah. People don't usually think of it too much as a horror movie, but that's, that's one of my faves. Um, well, you said the exorcist, one of your faves, right? Top still, still number one, still it's, kind of, you know, look, the, the exorcist celebrating its 50th anniversary this year. Is it the, wow? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I, I remember going to it in 1973 in Toronto, and it was the, the second or third night that after it had been released. And I was with two other buddies, so I was only about I don't know what age I was, maybe about 16. And uh, the theater back then, people were so terrified of that film. The theater would was usually was down to about half at, at being you know sold out at the beginning of the movie, halfway through. At least half the people had left because they, they walked were, out. Oh yeah, they not because they not because of, of the quality of the movie, but just how intense it was back then. I've actually I can watch it now and, and not be so freaked out by it. You know, I, I can actually watch it and kind of get a couple of laughs uh, at, at some of the scenes. But back then, it terrified me. It, it really terrified. I remember going, going to school the next day. I went to an all boys Catholic school, going up to one of the priests and saying, Hey, so I saw the accident. Could that happen? And I remember, you know, it was great. It was great the way he answered the Irish accent. He went, It's highly unlikely, highly, highly unlikely, but not completely out of the realm of possibility. And I was like, Oh, come on, man. Oh, man. <laughs> come on. Give, give me something. So, you know, I, uh, yeah, that, that one. That one, that one definitely was a was a hard punch. I'm I'm trying to think of there was one I saw. Oh, I think there was one called the Orphan. Oh, I think it was called the Orphan. I thought that was really strong. And what's the one? Oh shoot, come on, the one where the the girl is climbing out of the television set. Oh, the yeah. Ring. The Ring. The Ring yeah. is, is is tremendous. I love the Ring because they they kind of parried it, and uh, I think it was Scary Movie Four. They parodied it. Oh yeah, they, yeah, they do. You so, see, that's the thing. I, Cindy, I love on... the TV's leaking. <laughs> that's right. I do love when the parodies come out. They, they I enjoy them very much as well. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's a it's a great genre. We that's like to scare good. ourselves. Yeah. Speaking of The Exorcist, they just put a remake out. It came out like like two weeks ago. Huh. Yeah, I think it's The Exorcist uh, something, oh, but they oh. did a, a remake of it, and it's right. it's kind of like getting like meh reviews. Like you can't beat the original, but fifty years later, I mean, it's getting a remake. I wonder who plays the uh, who plays Regan. Yeah, I don't know. I, I might go to maybe try and check it out this weekend because that's yeah, that's fun. yeah. But but really, everyone out there, you're not you're not going to be disappointed with Wolf Cop Two. That's gonna that's gonna every 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 box it checks. All the way through. When's it coming I, out? When are we going to get it? The DVD I know is out. I, I don't. Is know. it out? I don't follow these things. I think but, it is. Uh, or Organo, you know, he's the, that's my character. He's the evil organist at oh, the hospital. Yeah, it's out. Oh yeah. 
<laughs> nice. <laughs> I don't know if that came through or not. No, I couldn't hear it. So you were error, you were error at keyboarding. Ah, bummer. <laughs> That's a drag. Anyways, uh, well, it was so great to talk with you. Awesome to meet you. I'll have to come out and check out, check out one of these sticks shows. Jeremy, please do. You, you'll, you'll have a great time. An all-new episode of The Jeremy White Show. Available wherever you stream. Catch up on past interviews and episodes on demand now. Subscribe so you don't miss any of it.